This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My next novel, Only the Dead, hits shelves on May 16th and is available for pre-order anywhere you get your books right now. My guest today, Vincent Vargas. You know him as one of the stars of Mayans, but before that, he was an army ranger, then went to work for a private prison, then became a border patrol agent, and is now an actor, writer, and producer in Hollywood. So now, without further ado, Vincent Vargas. All right, what's up, man? <laughs> what's going on, dude? Good to see you. How you doing? Good, man. What's going on? Oh, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. We've only been talking about it for like a year and a half, I think. I know. Schedules are crazy. Um, so crazy. I had to change this one a couple of times, but I'm glad we're good. We're good. I'm yeah. Home. Awesome. Awesome. What's behind you? What do you got going on there? What's... uh? Oh, uh, this is a little studio that I use for for uh, auditions and zooming and meetings and all kinds of stuff. So it's just a room in my house. I turn into kind of three different walls, nice. and then I have a blank wall to the side of here for for like auditioning. Okay. Oh, nice. There you go. Yeah. Nice it's an audition space. Because all the have- all the auditions now are all virtual for the most part, unless you're. I mean, probably some of them are going in person in LA now, I guess. But for a while, at least, they were all sending sent quote unquote tapes in. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start, I think, uh, you know, if they call you in for a second potentially, or, or they want to do a bigger meetings, yeah, they'll bring you in. You like to back. read, like to read with somebody or something, something like that. Cause all the ones I saw for terminal list as uh so as an executive producer, I got for the first time, I got to see all those and there were a lot, like there were a ton of people that would just do a read. And so yeah, you have, have like it, four of them you know, there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And you'd go through and you'd click on it. It was all, uh, you know, on the cloud or whatever, and you'd put your password in and then click and, and uh, then give your feedback or, or whatever. But there was a, there were a lot of them, but they were for a while there, at least they, those were all virtual. Cause we were even casting that thing in, yeah. in you know, the, the height of the, the COVID. Insanity. Yeah. COVID actually helped me with my, with, with what I do. Cause I can do that from home. Right. I'm, I didn't have to, I was used to be spending crazy amount of money on flights just to go to LA, just to do a, an audition. Then COVID turned into this self tape thing, which mm-hmm. not as easy because uh, I don't think people really get to know the character of the person when they walk in the room and they, yeah. how they kind of hold the room yeah. and it's tape. You give them the best version, but it still doesn't have the same energy. Totally. I mean, you hear all those actors talking about stories like, uh, what was Matthew McConaughey had one, I think walking in with a six pack or something like they do something that's totally different and all in character, not like going in and saying hi. And then, okay, here we go. I'll do the read, but they like come in as the character. And they, a lot of actors have this, these stories that they either tried and failed or they tried and it worked out and they're, you know, good stories, but you can't really, you know, do that. You can set a six pack you know, right there on your table for a video, but it's not, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. Actually it's, pretty much how I got Mayans. I think it was because I did two, two, you know, I did a callback for my second audition as we're leaving the studio. My father was all excited about me landing that job or, or, or thinking I might land it. Right. Yeah. It's like, huge. So he's jumping on my back and I'm kind of holding him and we're just kind of doing this bro, dad, son moment. And they were watching from the top. They were watching that interaction. And they said, that's actually what made Kurt Sutter go. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to go with him. No way. Yeah. That's amazing. I wonder how many people were auditioning for that part. I mean, it's got to be a ton of people. I don't know, man. I'm going to tell you the truth. I think 
I think it was right time, right place, right look. Yeah. Um, you had the know, look. You had the look. That's for sure. Definitely had the look, you know, and I already had a little bit of, you know, training and acting. So I knew I could pull it off if, you know, if for some reason I, I matched the character they're looking for. But, um, yeah, I think it was right timing because when I landed that, it wasn't more than a week later. I flew right back to start filming. So I think wow. they were short timing on auditions. They were looking for a new face. They were looking for something different. And I think I brought some authenticity to the character that they were looking for. So, and then, you know, I don't look like any of the other guys already casted. That's a big thing, okay. right? If you look too much like yeah. someone else, it's like, doesn't work. So there's a lot of little nuances that go into like landing a role that most people don't think about. Mm -hmm. And again, just, it was a lot of ticket, man. I got, I got freaking lucky, dude. Oh man, you're awesome in it. You're the perfect guy for it. It's so awesome. Um, because JD's in there, you know, you get the, you got a, such a, a, a great family working on that show. It's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. People don't realize how much goes into it and how much kind of chance is involved because, I mean, you might want someone for a part, but guess what? They might already be booked and your second and third and fourth choices also might already be booked. And all of a sudden it's, it's, you're getting close to filming time. People are going to show up on set for us. We're flooding the Paramount studio lot with water, building a tunnel complex on that 350 people are showing up and you need somebody for, you know, part X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. So a lot of times it comes down to that timing and who's available. Uh, but you do notice it now. I, I mean, I always noticed it before when actors looked too similar, like if it was a, a cop buddy or type thing and you're like, gosh, it's kind of hard to tell these guys apart. Why didn't they go with someone that yeah. looks a little different? And well, maybe they wanted to, but that person wasn't available or there's so many different factors that come into play. There's, I've seen guys sign the contract the day of minutes before walking on set. Wow. Like they're there, they're there, but they're still agents are on the phone negotiating. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm like, what the hell happened to like, dude, they're still still running numbers and i'm like what the f dude that's crazy yeah. but that's the name of the game and 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 also as a as a i've produced a few things before and so it's also like you you you're putting a lot of hope in this guy can reach the or girl can reach the depth of the character that you've written for it or that they've written for that person you're you have, you're putting a lot of trust that they can carry that character and so there's a lot that goes into picking someone. That's why, you know, that's why you kind of see familiar faces so often. They, they, they're they trusted in knowing they can do that level of work. And so it's hard to trust. So that's why us as actors, we have to try and play a variety of roles. We have to show the depth of our acting. We mm -hmm. have to be able to 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 almost create a digital resume of, of how good we can be so that someone else is like, Oh, that dude's really good. And he can, he can Pull do emotion scenes. He can do yeah. comedy. Yeah. That's exactly the talks we have. Yeah. And we're talking about who's going to play certain characters in the next few seasons. Um, we're like, uh, Oh, that guy could pull it off. Oh, absolutely. That guy could pull it off. And then yeah. someone else is like, Oh, but he's busy with X, Y, or Z. And you're like, Oh, dang it. Uh, you know, and so you're trying to figure out kind of this pool of people to, to, yep. to choose from and then see who's available. And if none of them are, you're like, okay, let's get back to the, who, who else we have here? Who's, who's in the bullpen. But it's, yep. uh, it's fascinating. But you mentioned your dad. So your dad was a Marine right yeah my dad was a marine yeah he was a marine um i don't know much about his service i think he only did serve three years and something on the flight deck something okay. on the flight crew of any traffic something okay uh, yeah and and you know <laughs> being raised by that dude was was all i needed to know that i didn't want to be a marine <laughs> <laughs> he kept he kept he the culture jerk, man. <laughs> he, he, um, he retained some of the uh marine boot camp uh oh, drill instructor I, persona all Marines tend to tend to yeah. do that. It seems like, right. They have that. It's the pride of the Marine. It's yeah. the pride of, of that history. Yeah. And he's pretty tough uh, as growing up. He was pretty, you know, if you wake up past seven o'clock, half the day is gone. He's already walked five miles, read his newspaper and had his coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my pops, man. Did he keep the haircut? 
for a while yeah for a while he had this kind of like the back then it was kind of the the flat top look right just very sharp flat top uh-huh. look um but no you know he he just definitely he's always on time he's very very punctual with everything he he always likes to look a certain way he's he's just a very very sharp character in yeah. that and uh he's always had that very stern demeanor you know yeah. yes sir yes ma'am my whole life That's right and, and it's just who my dad was man yeah what did he do when he got out of the marine corps he was doing some construction so the cool thing he only joined the marines because it was either that or go to prison go to jail right he got into he used to be involved in a little bit of street gangs back then it wasn't like um gang banging right that was more turned towards my 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 nineties at growing up uh, the era, but he was in the era of you know they would they would take their belts off they'd fight with chains and and pipes and stuff and he got into an altercation with a, another gang. Uh, he he used to be yeah he, yeah so that's kind of what happened with him and then his parole officer was kind of like well we're gonna either go to, go to the military or you know spend some time in jail, and he chose the Marines and so after he getting out of the Marines he he just went to con uh to to framing he was a contractor right just. Just doing grunt work at at, at, a, at a construction site, learning how to frame houses. Okay. Uh, and, and then it got really a rainy season, and uh, they they weren't making money, and so he went to file unemployment. And there was a sign for LA LA um, Fire Department, Los Angeles City Fire, and he applied, and and he ended up going through the process, and he he ended up retiring thirty two years as an LA City firefighter. Man, no way! That uh-huh. is amazing. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a crazy career because sometime in the middle of that, he ended up becoming a, a cut man in boxing, and he's now considered one of the, you know, well-known boxing cut men in the history of the no game. No way. That's wild. Yeah. What a what a story. He needs to write a story. I mean, you have Borderline. I want to talk about that, and when that, that's coming out, it's uh, everybody should read that, especially with everything that is going on on the border right now. Uh, when you sent that to me, I, I mean, I dove into it, and I knew a little about Bortac and that sort of a thing because I'd done some training with them on the border when I was in the SEAL teams. But you give a great history. But It's both personal. It's history and your personal experience, and you can apply it to kind of what's going on right now. So I thought yeah. it was fantastic. But uh, sounds like your dad should write a book, too. Yeah, he's got a cool story. He's definitely got a cool story. I might have to help him write that, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he definitely, you know, I think that a lot of who I am is because of you know yeah. my mother and father and the way they were. And um, you know, for a long time, I held a grudge against my father for being such a tough dude. But then, as we get older, we start having those man to man talks, and I find out how how his father was for him. Right, his mm-hmm. father was an abusive drunk to the family, and so um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't take it out of my pops no more. I guess I understand what it's like being a father and trying to trying to raise someone right and, and only having the examples you have before you, yeah. you know, and, and he's given me a lot of examples of, he wasn't a man that would tell me things. He wasn't a man that would be like, um, son, the birds and the bees. He wasn't a man that'd be like, uh, I'm super proud of you. He, he'd just be a man of example. He woke up early. He, he, he worked his butt off. He, he, the house was always looking good. Uh, you know, my mom was always well taken care of. He had respect and manners and, you know, that was enough for me to see the kind of character of, of the man he was and, uh, and the man he is and and how many people just loved him. You know, the pe- he just had people that just like, man, your dad's a great dude. And it was always cool to hear that. You know what I mean? So my pops is a cool dude and we, we've we become closer and closer throughout the years. And, uh, you know, I guess I think he's just a big part of who I am and, and why I am. Yeah. You know? Oh man, we've well, got to be proud of everything that you've uh, you've accomplished and done, and the example that you're setting. Um, speaking of that, what was the path into into Ranger Bat? Like, oh, what, dude, I was when did you like college. say I'm going? Like when when, when did yeah. that happen? Yeah, man, I was playing college baseball at the time, and um, I ended up losing a full ride scholarship. You know, I wasn't able to pay for college, and so the full ride is what I needed to 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 kind of hold on to that dream of being a professional baseball player. Hopefully, 
And, uh, you know, I failed a ceramics class, as dumb as it sounds. I just wasn't responsible enough, wasn't mature enough. I was too, too busy drinking and partying and everything else. Sometimes yeah. those easy ones will get you. For anybody out there that's like just going into college and thinking you're like acting, ceramics, painting, you know, whatever, <laughs> public speaking, whatever that class is that you think the easy A, sometimes those will sneak up on you. Yeah, you know? that, that, that's what got me. So I failed uh, the ceramics, but put me under 2.0, which enemy ended up losing my uh, full ride scholarship. And so I was working at a Texas Roadhouse. After I get off work, I'd head over to a Buffalo Wild Wings and it was kind of the same group of people. You know, you walk in, they're like, hey, the same beer. And you're like, yeah, you know, and we're drinking our beers. I have a daughter who was already born in California. And that's a situation that I'm trying to figure out myself. I've always wanted to be a dad, but, um, you know, I didn't have the means for for her. So my mom's helped me pay for formula and diapers. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm across the country in Kentucky while they're in L.A., uh, I'm sitting next to a buddy who was a former um, Navy guy, and we're sitting there watching the CNN news clip. Do you remember that video of a Marine putting a an American flag over the Saddam statue oh, yeah. and then pulling it down? It was such yeah. an iconic moment. Well, CNN or Fox News or one of them was interviewing the parents, right, the family, and they're all they're all emotional about it. They're like so proud of their son, and they're crying, and I was like, shit, <laughs> my family, I don't think has ever been that proud of me. And uh, that was really the moment I knew. I was like, well, I can I can join the military. If I die in combat, well, then my daughter gets gets money. So that's cool. I did that because I don't have that. Um, I also become a hero to, to, to America and serving our country and to my daughter because I didn't know if I could be a good dad, to be honest. And then, you know, uh, my family would be proud. And so that next day, I just went to the recruiter and asked for what's the toughest thing they got. And it was Special Forces or Army Ranger. Eventually, I took the... I took the uh, the little test and I scored a 108 on my GT score, which at the time they didn't have a two point waiver. So I went with just a Ranger contract. It was RGR Ranger 11 X. Hopefully you make it. We'll see what happens. No kidding. So it's boot camp, and then it's uh, jump school right from from boot camp. Yep. So it's right like from boot camp. Benning, stay stay yeah. at Benning. Are you at Benning for that? Yeah, okay. yeah. You stay in Benning. So. Finished boot camp. I was a two five eight, you know, and we ended up saying hi to the family. They did a little ceremony, and then boom, we're we're off to jump school. We walk over there. The family takes us there. We in process. Then they let us off for dinner with the family. We say bye to our family. Boom, we're starting jump school pretty much the next day. Yeah. Jump school, I think, is two weeks long. Hope to God you don't get hurt. It's three. It's three. They jam two three? weeks. They jam two days of training into three weeks. Yeah. So I end up doing that. And right when you're done graduating from there, the rip cadre from Ranger Battalion, right uh, from, from, from Ranger Training Battalion uh, shows up to pick you up. You carry all your gear, you show up there. They do a whole, you know, they scare the dog shit out of you essentially. And then, uh, and then they let us go for the weekend and they know that PT test is on Monday. And if you pass, you're good. If you don't pass, you go to the, the holdover, which is people have been waiting there for six months to even attempt rip you know what i mean and so you got to be ready luckily you know we made it through got the rip boom shipped directly to uh fort lewis how long is rip is it a few weeks yeah i think rip at the time was probably three weeks as well three or four weeks is something i think now it's different right now it's considered a ranger assessment selection program and they start to now they train a lot of the young soldiers uh the the standard operating procedures so when they show up they're not completely lost got it because in my time i was getting dudes that knew nothing they were they were willing to suck yeah yeah. nothing you know what i mean and so we'd get guys and go overseas in five days and be like look every day we're we're hitting shoot houses we're working on ready ups we're doing you know doing the thing and so um it was definitely a, a different thing i'm glad they added that to be honest yeah so uh graduated rip boom shipped to fort lewis uh we're in the 
in the in-processing section. We had an NCO show up to us and say, hey, get your DCUs. We're going overseas on the reach back bird right away. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Call my mom like, we ain't got no time. I'm going straight over. Um, At that same time, so much chaos happened. You know, that was the time when um, the Pat Tillman incident happened. And so they ended up deciding not to send us on the reach back. And we just kind of did gate guard. We answered the phones. We we pretty much were, were, were just doing whatever they told us to. And then we were just going to wait for them to, to redeploy and come back home. Uh, about 30 days into it, they came home. And, you know, that whole chaos happened where, you know, Ranger Town said, or whoever was, right, higher-ups were saying that it was enemy enemy fire, and then come to find out it was friendly fire, and then come to find out they, they didn't want to talk about who did it, and all of a sudden people were just getting kicked out left and right. And it was just this, for a new guy, for a 23-year-old new dude who just didn't want to get in trouble, didn't want to say anything, didn't want to get in the way. I was just watching from far thinking like, whoa, man, this is madness. And then to hear the story, it's like, holy crap, like how did that happen? Uh, later on, I read a couple of books and, you know, I talked to some dudes. It kind of seemed like a very hush-hush situation in battalion. And mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't pry too much, but I was in uh first platoon uh, alpha company. He was in second platoon uh, alpha company. And so there was a lot of, a lot of angst and anger and frustration. Yeah. You know, they came home and, uh, you know, we we brought we were told bring them lots of liquor, porn, and uh, food. You know, when they get here, you know, and they get off the plane, and you know, they they beat the shit out of a lot of us. It was kind of the we kind of knew it was coming. We were kind yeah. of like, you know what I mean? It was you just let them do their thing. They were frustrated. They were upset. Um, it was the first time seeing man, seeing guys come back from from combat and 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 the look in their eyes and and the emotions that they they held, and it was interesting for me. Like I said, I wasn't a kid. I was twenty three years old. I had a kid, um, and I was. I was able to see things through kind of a different lens, almost an old, old older lens of like understanding. And uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, Specialist Custer, if you're out there, yeah, I owe him, I owe him a chokehold. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, you know, within another 30 days, we ended up going back to a deployment. And that was my first uh, deployment to Afghanistan. Uh, and then, you know, so on and so forth. You know, I went to the next one, you know, went to Iraq. We went to, we went to Mosul. We had a very successful time there. We 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 did a lot of work and then came back. I went to ranger school. Boom, came back, went to Afghanistan again, the second uh, the, the the my Afghanistan my second time in Afghanistan. And then I decided, you know, I lost I lost some friends when I came back from Ranger Ranger uh Ranger School. Uh, I wasn't able to deploy with them. They were already out there. I had a brachial plexus nerve damage in my shoulder. And so since the shoulder wasn't working fully and functionally, the, the battalion PA didn't let me deploy. Yeah. So I stayed on the reach back. Um, and within two weeks of my platoon getting redeployed, coming home, you know, we got the call, man. We got the call. We, we lost two guys and two of the most influential, badass, I mean, leaders you could ever think of. The guys that you never imagined, the guys that, you know, battalion commanders are asking them, like, questions and how to, what's the approach for this. And what, I mean, these guys were highly respected. They, to me, they were the cream of the crop. And, um, you know, we got the call that, that they were killed and, um, and a couple other guys were injured and it was, uh, that was the first combat death, you know, that I experienced. Um, and I wasn't, wasn't there, but I'm saying I experienced from, from losing a friend. I did lose a friend and from training, uh, about a year prior to that. So it was another, another story of its own, but yeah, so when we lost those two, that was a, uh, that was really, I think, the beginning of the end for me, feeling like I wanted to. I had a lot of conversations with those dudes. I actually talked. I opened up in the book about that. I had a lot of conversations with dudes, and one of them, Sergeant Barraza. Um, you know, he 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 was the one who gave me the idea to join the Border Patrol. 
we we sat in a room in a squad room in Afghanistan. We're cleaning our weapons and you know, conversation comes up and he's like, what do you guys think about doing when you get out? You know? And I was like a uh, firefighter, like my dad, you know what I mean? And I said, it'd be cool to be a, a, a smoke jumper. Cause kind of combining the army ranger and yeah. fire. Right. So that's what I thought was like, Oh, that'd be cool, dude. You know, and everyone had their cops, their, their, their law enforcement of some sort or fire or, you know, so, you know, any kind of service like that. And then you said the border patrol. And I was like, huh, I've seen those dudes. You know, I, I we used to go to Rosarito and Ensenada with my family all the time. And, I saw those back then. It was those mint green, you know, trucks. Yeah. And uh, never really understood anything about what they did. I also saw the movie like coming to America or something. What no, was it? Was it born in East LA? There you go with Cheech Marin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And he's running from the immigration. Right? So <laughs> those movies. And uh, I still didn't understand that, like the depth and the, the capacity of what they do. Yeah. And so um, when, when they died, it was like, for me, it was kind of like, okay, I can stay here and keep doing this job, which I felt like I've done my part, uh, or I can get out and try and do other things. You know what I mean? Both of these men were ready to get out. Both of these men had plans of doing something after outside of the military. And, you know, you know, that game, man, if you're, you're running and gunning, you know, everyone has a number. Uh, and I didn't want to think like that. I felt like that. I didn't want to think like that. I felt like that energy mm-hmm. alone was ugly for a mission. And uh, when when my time was up, I walked away from active duty and went to reserves. And uh, you know, I, I took my shot at the civilian life. There you go. And do you remember when when uh, the Pat Tillman thing went down? Were people upset with the like the higher ups and how that was was handled? Was that where a lot of that uh, angst and frustration came from? Yeah, man. You know, um, from what I was told, is th- these guys weren't they weren't told who it was. You know, even even his brother. You know, what I mean, they weren't told. They, they even threw him in, the, in his, they put his body in his gun truck. You know what I mean? I think they felt that I, I, you know, I can't say I understand. I'd say uh, the situation would be extremely difficult as a leader to, 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 to manage. And so however they managed it, I think it was inappropriate, right? It is wrong. It's kind of, kind of a, a, a shitty thing to say, but to not tell them one who it is and not tell them how it happened, you know, and maybe at the fog war at the time, they really didn't yeah, know. Maybe. Like maybe they had no idea, you know? Um, and so when they got back, they were pissed, man. I mean, just like guys were that, that lost our two in, in combat, they were pissed too. Like you're just mad when you lose someone. Cause how do you handle, how do guys like us manage that stuff back then? All we knew how to do was fight. Mm-hmm. Right. All we knew was anger. I didn't know how to, express myself and saying, oh, man, I love that person. And it hurts me that they lost, but all I knew how to do is be angry. Mm. And so, you know, I just think, uh, everyone was more confused and, and, and it was the first, like, you know, it was the second big loss. They lost, they lost Jay blessing before that, but it was, it's just not easy to lose someone that, you know, right. It's not easy to lose someone that's part of your, part of your platoon. And so those guys were pretty upset about it. And, uh, yeah. And I think rightfully so it was just a crazy situation. Yeah. Yeah, so crazy. Now you didn't go to ranger school, and always when people always, it always surprises people that aren't familiar with the army, aren't familiar with ranger battalion, that you can go to a ranger battalion and go down range and still not have gone through ranger school, still not pass that that course. Yeah. Um, so uh, what was that like? So you're going down range without yeah. having been through ranger school. Um, yeah, but. Are yeah, you like, because at, at this time, are you like looked at, Hey, he's, you know, I'm relying on, on this guy. He's one of us. Or is it more, or are you looked at like, Hey, he hasn't even been to ranger school. Like, what is that like? Cause everybody in the seal teams, that's a seal is, uh, 
has been through buds. Like by the time you get downrange, uh, you know, you're not wearing that trident unless you've passed buds. So you have that in common with every other seal, whether they went through in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, yesterday, uh, you have that in common. And now, I mean, maybe you have something in common, boot camp. Um, yeah. You have uh, jump school, but you don't yet have passing that yeah. course. Yeah, It's a really interesting thing. It's something that m- no special operations units do, right? We, we have our own thing. And that's why most people can't even understand it. That's why like someone who's an officer never went to Ranger Town has a Ranger Town. They're like, I'm an Army Ranger. We're like, I don't know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, ah, the opposite way too, right? You have the dentist right, right, that yeah. goes to Ranger School and everybody thinks they're a Ranger because they went to Ranger School. It's like a leadership, you know, right. uh, course. And, uh, uh, but they really were never at a Ranger Bat. So it's like, it's strange when you have yeah. to explain it to somebody. It's very, even after you explain it, it's still confusing. I can see how it's confusing for people. So I'll explain it this way. So for Ranger Battalion, for us, um, when you get through RIP or RASP, we consider ourselves Rangers. Um, and yes, you get treated like garbage until you get your Ranger tab, but you get treated less like garbage when you go to combat. Yeah. There's a, there's a respect that's built there. There's a, you know, we, we've, 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 you know, we shed, shed sweat tears together. Uh, and so you get treated a little bit better. Uh, I was more mature than some of these kids. They were 17, 18-year-old kids, right? They're 18, 19. I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. So you're the old man at 23. Right, right. And so a lot of them kind of looked at me like, hey, hey Vargas, go get your knuckleheads. Let's let's go do work, right? Yeah. And so uh, I was kind of treated like that pretty fast. They saw the maturity in me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. And as soon as you serve combat with them, there's a respect level that's there. Now you're still you're still a punk, right? You're still non-tabbed. So you're still doing all the dirt work. You're still doing all the cleaning. You're still, you know, you still do all the details. Oh, yeah. Um, but you do have respect and that feels good because in battalion, you can't promote without that Ranger tab. And for us in Ranger battalion, that is your way to go become an, uh, an NCO. That is your only way of becoming an E5 and getting a team and then working your way towards getting a squad. And if you don't get that within two years, there's a bubble there that they can kick you out. They can say, you know what, dude, if you're not good, if you're not, you're not meeting the standards, you're Mm -hmm. gone. And those are for all the infantry guys. The, the, uh, the other MOSs have a different kind of uh number system whatever that is for us infantry guys it was like two years if you reach that you're not meeting the requirements we're gonna they call rfs uh release for standards yeah and that was common we had guys attempt ranger school and didn't make it if they were honor violation for some reason say they were still in chow or whatever boom they're gone if they were uh if they did an ad accidentally even with blank rounds boom they're gone like it didn't matter like for 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 someone to go to ranger battalion and be able to get some deployments in and get the Ranger tab with that. You know, that was a pretty successful career because, because we had a lot of guys and we had per capita, the biggest drinking issue on, on, you know, on almost every base that a battalion was in. Mm. Right. And so we partied hard, we drank hard, we went to war hard, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and, and so it wasn't easy for guys to show up and have a successful career. And the guys who did, it's like you hold a little bit more respect for it too. Like, man, that guy did it, right? He, he earned his Ranger tab. He got a team. He went overseas. He, you know, the tab and scroll is, is valued in our community. And not to say anything, someone who doesn't earn their tab, it is what it is. They're still part of our brotherhood. But there's something, there's a little bit more of like a that Ranger tab and scroll. Yeah. Like, yeah, he did it. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. That's how it works for us. Oh, man. All right. Today, I want to talk about Protect.com. That is P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Started by my buddy, Nick Norris from the SEAL teams, who was recently on the podcast. He's all about health and wellness and living that best life. So what we have here, hydration, immunity, energy, rest, liquid packs. Because we all want to feel our best 
We dream of waking up with plenty of energy to excel at our work, our personal lives, and have a great workout every single day. But the reality is, very few of us do that. That's why Protect was started. And you can grab a convenient pack right here. This is energy. So this has been boosting me through my latest novel. And look at that. It's a liquid pack right there. You just, bam, add it to a glass, add a little water, and you are good to go. So hydration, love the hydration, and the immunity, and the clarity, which I'm going to take as soon as this podcast is over and I get back to writing. So all of that plus the rest. How important is that rest? Right here, take that an hour and a half before bed for some great sleep. And for hydration right here, 30 minutes after you wake up and right before your workout. So swap that daily energy drink for the energy. Try that hydration, that immunity, that rest. And they also have products like this, Reef Safe Sunscreen, SPF 50. Protect right there. And right now you can get 25% off. Go to protect.com. That is P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com slash danger close for 25% off. Go check them out. So in all that uh all that training and deployments downrange, what did you what do you take away from that time in the in the military, time downrange and applying today to what you're doing? Or applied to Border Patrol after that, or applying to acting or family today? What are some of those lessons you took from uh Iraq and Afghanistan and applied to your life and took with you? Man, I I, I think is where I've earned a lot of empathy for the world. You know what I mean? I, I just like I said, I think I was older and I was able to kind of I wasn't the guy that was sucked into the raw, raw ranger, hardcore infantry, no emotions. I was a guy that sat back like, man, this is fucking crazy. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. sat back and genuinely was, I remember going into a house way up in the hills of Afghanistan and um, cracking a chem light and the, and the kids were scared, right? We like kicked in the door. They, they've probably seen uh, guys like us maybe three other times in their life, if that, right? Mm -hmm. And um that's how desolate and, and in the middle of nowhere this place was. We kick in the door and everyone's screaming. The mom's screaming, the dad's screaming. We just, we snatched them up um, and the kids are freaking out. And we cracked the chem light. And at first they were like, whoa. And then like, I just waved it in their hand and handed it to them. Bro, it, like like that alone was like, I've never forgotten. Yeah. And it's always thrown me for a loop of like, man, I don't know. So it gave me empathy. I see the world. I see that, you know, they're you know, even though these terrorists are fighting their fight that their beliefs that, that are extremely crazy, we're fighting ours. You know what I mean? It's like this really interesting thing that I've always seen. It didn't make me less dangerous. I wanted to go out there and just win the fight, right? I'm a competitive person. I want to make sure my brothers and brothers to the left and right are always safe. But at the end of it, almost every time we're driving back to the fob, back to our spot or on the helicopter back to, I'll be like, holy shit. What if I, this is fucking wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, oh yeah. I know that feeling. <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I gave a shit, you know, yeah. I gave a shit, even if, you know, if, even if a mission where we had, you know, we, we had a couple of missions, you know, you, you have engagements and, and, you know, we walk away and you're like, count the bodies. And you're just like, holy crap, man. Like, this is a, this is a wild life. You know what I mean? And, and so I think I've carried that on with me forever. I think that's, it's made me, um, I think more in tune with my emotions. It's made me uh, more understanding of people's like uh, choices, you know, and not to say that like, it's just, I can sit here and be like, okay, I see why they did that. Like, mm -hmm. like be becoming a border agent was like, just like that. Like, look, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm Mexican and, and Puerto Rican. My grandmother crossed illegally. You know what I mean? So like now I'm stopping these people from coming across. Right. And you can't, crazy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm empathetic. Yeah. I get why they freaking come. And I know why they're, what they're looking for is this land of opportunity that my grandmother did the same thing for. Mm-hmm. And so, so as much as I understand that, I also understand this time in our life is different. You know, you got Homeland Security, you know, that is a, there's a huge factor. And the people that I was chasing in Afghanistan and Iraq are now entering the borders from Mexico. Isn't that crazy? Right. And I know that, right. And not everyone in the room would ever understand that. Like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, in my head, I'm like, yeah, but if I can catch that one, if I can stop that one, dude, that's a lot of value, you know? And so you do the job the best you can. And, and that's, that's what I do there. And then fast forwarding to Hollywood, it's like, I feel like I understand emotions, I, uh, the the Rolodex of emotions from anger to pain. You know, I know what it's like to, 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 to see a wife screaming that her husband's no longer with her. Uh, I, know that, I know that emotion. It's ugly, right? I know emotions of seeing um, kids get hurt, right? I know the emotions of what it was to see a wife hug her husband in his casket. I know what it's like for being a friend to lose someone. And I know these like Rolodex of emotions and I've been able to kind of like file them in a way where I can always reach them. And because as an actor, it's kind of what we have to be good at, right? We have to be able to good to, to use that Rolodex of emotions to bring truth to whatever character, whatever lines are being told. And so I think I've, because I've had this interesting life before acting, I feel like I have a lot of that uh, ready to use, you know what I mean? Kind of in the holster, mm-hmm. if you will. And, and I think that's, that's also why I love what I do. Being an actor is almost therapeutic. You know what I mean? I can't walk around crying all goddamn day. I can't, <laughs> I can't get shit done. But, you know? but if you're getting paid for it. Uh, <laughs> I better make a day for it. Yeah, we're good. And that's tough. You know, people realize they're like, ah, oh, it's so easy. You know, you just show up on set, you act, and then you leave. It's such an easy. It, like, I, now that I've seen it close up and I've been involved with the production um, from inception all the way through marketing and, and, and distribution, essentially, um, now I see it is not easy. Uh, and I was always, you know, I'm always. Uh, try to be thoughtful and understanding, but now I, now I, now you see it. And then when you're talking about what you're talking about and it's not just sitting down across the table from somebody and having a conversation over beers and remembering your lines, when you have to actually dig deep into those emotions and there are 350 people on set, maybe in that room, there's 10, whatever it is. Um, and you're doing that in front of all these people and all of it. So you have the responsibility of performing, because you're carrying yeah. a show, you're carrying that scene, you're helping that other actor, whatever it is. Um, and that's a lot of pressure in and of in and of itself. But then not only that, it's the time of this whole production. You've got whatever it is, five days, six days, seven days for like for an episode of Minds, whatever you guys have for per episode. And you're on the clock. Like yeah. you're not, you can't be like, I'm not feeling this today. Let's just do this tomorrow. Like, no, you got to get it right there. And everybody out there who has a job because of what you're doing in that room, like that's on your shoulders too. Yes. And then you got to go to the next scene and maybe it's totally different and maybe we're in it or maybe you're off for the day. Who knows? But Absolutely. it, it could take a, I mean, it's tough. And then if you're doing that away from your family uh, yeah. and you're away for six months, five months, four months, three months on a production overseas. Um, like, like it's not quite as easy as it might seem from the outside. If you're just seeing a three minute clip on like entertainment tonight back in the day and it looks glamorous, like there's, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot more to yeah. it. 
No, exactly. And, and that's that's kind of the crazy thing. Like, it's not uncommon to do 14-hour days, 15-hour days, 16-hour days, right? And it's like, then you also have to hold your emotion for that long. And then you have to, if you're going to cry, then you have to cry probably five or six times to make sure they get the right angle of that cry. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It ain't, and it's been fun. It's been fun. I think uh, a lot of military kind of mindset uh, on set does well, you know, the mm-hmm. hurry up and wait is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, the higher, the hierarchy of a rank structure, yep. right. Knowing your place, knowing just to, just to shut up and go where you need to go until it's time to, until it's time to play. Right. And, and having good manners and being a good person, all that stuff goes a long way because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, film production is a small world and you, you burn one bridge. You might as well burn a, a few of those. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause people will talk. It's like any other business. People will talk and be like, uh, you know what? Maybe we go with somebody else. Uh, or it's, or the opposite, just like in anything in life. That guy in the military, that guy's awesome. Like, I want him on my team. I want him on this deployment. I want him in this position um, because of X, Y, or Z. Like, it's the same with anything Absolutely. in life. You know, no one's going to want to spend time with somebody, even if they're a high performer. I've seen a little bit yep. of this too. Uh, if you're a super high performer, but you're bringing the whole production down, you're bringing that whole team down in the military, guess what? Yep. No, you're not peer, you're not, peer reviews. You're not invited back. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. That's just life in, in general. Were you an A-dub guy in, uh, at Ranger Bat, by the way, were you on the, on the automatic weapon? What were you carrying over there? I, so I started off a Gustav guy. So I was just cause I'm bigger than everybody. Right? Yeah, that's why I thought A-dub, but so a Gustav <laughs> yeah. guy, that's like a that's like a thing. Like you're not that yeah. and something else. I mean, except no, at man. first you're on, you're on it. You're an AT team. I was on an AT team. It was my gunner who was senior to me. And I carried the ammo and I carried a couple other things that we just carried. And then we also had our full, you know, seven mag uh, and, and my rifle. And so on, on the, just like my first appointment in Afghanistan, you know, we were fast roping down with, with, I had four rounds on my back, you know, I had a, whatever he told me to carry that day. I carried those, he carried the gun and boom, we should go to a high point and stand there. And if we needed to fire, we'd load and, and we'd go, you know, I'd laser target and I'd say, yeah, 300 meters. And we're yeah. like, you know, we'd do our thing. Uh, for people then, listening you know, right now, look up Carl Gustav on, yeah. uh, on, uh, on, you know, internet, YouTube, whatever. There'll be some yeah. good pictures of it, descriptions of uh, it, but essentially you're carrying warheads on your back and yeah, different absolutely. ones can like do different things. Pounds, they're like 11 pounds to 15 pounds each, depdepending on which one it is, oh, HEDP, nice. whatever uh, it is. Right. Uh, the, the rifle itself is, it's an 84 millimeter recoilless rifle. It's about 34 pounds. You know what I mean? So you're carrying some weight on top of your own, the stuff you're already carrying. Yeah. And uh, you're meant, you know, your job is meant for one thing is when they need you, you need to blow shit up. Yeah. You know, and those things, if uh, I have a really good buddy on the same AT team, he was uh, on a different platoon. He used that bad boy and fired off six rounds within like seconds just to, to wow. help him get out of an ambush. Yeah. And so that is the ambush saver. Someone gets an ambush. A lot of guys, there's a lot of stories of the, the Gustav. It's intensity of just the noise and loud alone it makes is uh, so overwhelming. It's like, oh, what the hell was that? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But they're also crazy. dude. They're not healthy for us to be shooting as many. No, I think there's actually some sort of a regulation that says you're only allowed to shoot like, I don't know, two a day and they have to be right, spread right, out right. by 30 minutes. That, that'll be, that's yeah. wrong. But there's some sort of a, yeah, a so regulation out like, there. If I remember correctly, it was something like four to six rounds a day and that's it. But we would go to ranges. They'd be like, hey, we have 97 rounds. Let's yep, get them done. <laughs> exactly. And then if you're training and you're a training guy out there and you're next to the guy that's being taught and you have, I don't know, 30 guys to go through to or 60 guys in a line that are waiting that you're just, they're supposed to go up and go through their procedures and show that they can do it. If it's a fam or if it's going to, whatever it is. And that one guy, maybe they switch out a couple instructors perhaps, but he's sitting there with like the same kind of like, you know, noise canceling headsets that we have on when we go to the range and boom, he's getting all of it. Like he's getting 60 of those. It's crazy. That that can mess people up. 
it's so unhealthy. I think it's why I, I tested positive for TBI, and I I full heartedly believe it was that. Yeah, I mean because, I mean we do those ranges, and I remember when we we fired off like sixty in one day one time, and we were all like we took the day off. It was like it was the next day when we were beat up. Beat I up. felt like I had yeah. a fever. You know, it was just a you just didn't feel right. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just so powerful. But and also we used to train like that, right? We used to train stupid. We sit inside yeah. the room and they'd flashbang the room. Like, you got to know what it feels like. You know, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so you got to know what it feels like. That that generation, yeah. I remember when I first got to the team, we, they wanted us to go through an IAD. So like contact left and everybody drops down in their fields of fire, start shooting back then. We just had like, you had to pretend you didn't see the paper targets. But eventually we had these cool ones that would pop up and then go down and they looked like they were shooting at you. They had smoke. Someone was there with like a an iPad type of a thing, putting them down. Uh, putting them back up, like actually maneuvering you, how they wanted to put you, you know, through the desert or the mountains or whatever, whatever it was. But uh, man, that, that, uh, those were, they wanted you to go through without ear pro, you know, and you're next to like the A-dub, you know, me as a, I was a communicator back then. And so, you know, I'm in, I'm on my rifle and I have the radio and there's an A-dub next to me. I think maybe on either side, just just getting after it because it's still Vietnam tactics back then in the late 90s before, you know, before September 11th. And so back then, Vietnam tactics were like contact. Everything just goes into that jungle. Just and so that's what we did. Yeah. So you're getting that right next to your head. And then same thing with sniper school. You're doing that as a spotter or as a shooter either way. But as a spotter, it's worse running that 50, the 50 cal. And so we ours was, wasn't the Barrett. Ours was a uh, McMillan um, and on a Remington 700 action, but boom, I mean, that's, a, and with a, with a break at the end. So that means it's for those listening, you're putting like, you know, that concussion, I guess, you know, out the sides. So you're right there as the spotter, just taking that and you're yeah. shooting a lot in sniper school. So uh, those, that, that'll rattles you as well. And I've read that's not particularly healthy. Yeah, that's not, no. So, <laughs> so once I finished some time at, at, at that deployment, um, you know, midway through that deployment, I got pulled into a team just cause they needed some extra guys. A couple guys got hurt on a, on a fast rope. So I started kind of doing the basics of like, you know, uh, on a gun team or, or on a, on a team. And then I went to, uh, the, the, the guns, the gun team. So I was in, you know, an AB and, and, and a gunner and all that for, for a short stint because the next I got pulled into a, uh, I got pulled into a platoon and became a saw gunner for a squad. So, okay. uh, you know, same thing, maturity-wise, they were just like, hey, let's get this guy a saw gun and let's go. And so when I went to Missoula, I was a saw gunner. Oh, nice. Getting after it. Man, wild. So what, uh, so then you you decide, you're talking to your, uh, to your friend, and he mentioned the Border Patrol, and you start thinking about, about that. Um, what was that process like? Going in, putting in an application, getting accepted, going to poly, doing a background check, going to the academy, and then going to your your first, and you call it a station or an outstation or a, whatever you call it. Like, what does that process look like? Yeah. So I, at first, I, I went to become a prison guard at a private prison. It was just like the easiest job. Oh, man. And right when I got there, I was like, screw this. I need a different job. <laughs> and what state was that in? I was in Arizona. I was in a okay. private prison called, uh, uh, Corrections Corporation of America (CCA) uh, out of Florence, Arizona, and so I was at a I was at a facility called CADC, which is just correctional de- de- uh, correctional detention center. Yeah. Essentially, it was like any federal contract uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. We had all kinds of different stuff, immigration contract. We had all kinds of different stuff. Uh, and then um, once I kind of did that for like a month, I was already like, "This is not what I want to do. I need to get out of here." So yeah. I applied for the border patrol. That's tough. 
for those less. Oh, men. I mean, the, the prison, the prison system is an interesting one. I would have always loved to, to advance all the way up to be a warden. Cause I think that's kind of a cool position to be, but mm. being just a boots on the ground corrections officer can be very challenging. And it was even more challenging being in a private prison because a private prison, it, they didn't have the same, I guess, requirements. You know, they hired me. I was the youngest, like kind of a young stud in the area. Then they hired a couple other dudes who did, you know, 20, 30 years at, at, at the BOP or, or, or state prison, they're just there to collect another check. And so I was like the most active dude in my, in my wow. academy kind of, if you will. And so if the fight popped off, they're like, Vargas, there's a fight in, in 500. And you're like, okay. And I'm running over there and I'm getting oh, into all geez. <laughs> Yeah, man. Within the first month, I, I tell the story in the first month, um, they said, Hey, we need you for a cell extraction. You're going to be the team leader. I've never done cell extraction besides training. Right? So what's the cell extraction, other than I can picture, is it yeah. getting one person out or are there two people oh, or are there in a So it all depends. There? And on this one, it was two dudes. One of them was in there for murder. One was in there for attempted murder. They're both natives. Uh, they made some hooch, right? They made their own pruno, which is like a gel, gel made wine. Uh, kind of like a, like a, yeah, it's just like a whiskey or whatever they make it, depending on what they made it out of. They usually collect their oranges. Most of the time, is what they do. They change their diet plan. They say they're kosher. They get oranges in their meal. They save them, and they make wine out of it, right? Usually for a birthday or something. So these guys are already drunk off their minds. They call me and say, hey, we need you to be a team leader for a cell extraction. I was like, okay, what do we got? They said two dudes. Uh, one's in for murder. One's in for I already knew who the inmates were. I was like, oh, shoot. Like these guys, like the one guy who was in for murder, he killed a woman. And he killed her very ugly, like aggressively ugly. Uh, the story is just nasty. I won't even say. And so um, I'm like, oh, this is my first cell extraction outside of training. And training, we didn't really do it. We did a walkthrough of what the situation and how it works, right? We watched videos on it. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. They said, pick your guys. I picked kind of the guys I thought would do well enough. And then I picked this guy, this, this really big dude, thinking like he would help too, you know? Uh, and the way you do a two-man cell extraction is you have two shield guys. They're my one and two-man in the room. The team leader, me, will be three, and then the other guys are behind me. And then you always have a cameraman documenting everything for, for lawsuits, right? And so the first two men is the, the shield man. The shield one is supposed to pin one guy to the wall. Shield two is supposed to pin the other guy to the wall. Me as a team leader is supposed to kind of control the room, and everyone has a certain appendage they're going to grab. The left arm, like upper left arm, uh, uh, you know, right arm, left leg, blah, blah. And we're supposed to secure them, take them down, and cough them up. That's just the plan. Normally, you introduce uh, chemical munitions, you know, OCCS, whatever it is. So we get there, and they have toilet paper over the window. And I was like, oh, crap, this is kind of crazy. I look through, and I'm, like, trying to see what I see. And I see these dudes look like ninjas, bro. They had like, they got their bed sheets. They wrapped around their stomach. They wrapped, they put um, sandals around their elbows and knees, like knee pads and elbow pads. Yeah. They had face masks. I was like, these are fucking ninjas, dude. And I was seriously like this. Like, I looked over, I was like, bro, you see? He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> Holy shit. They didn't train me for this one. You know what I mean? Yeah, they didn't train us out ninjas. <laughs> so I told the, the the captain, I said, drop a munition in there. And he dropped a can of OCCS mix. And it's probably the best mixture you can use in there. And they grabbed it. And I heard him grab it and then throw it somewhere. I heard a bloop. And I was like, what the hell? What the hell happened? Well, they broke out their back window too. So they just threw it out the back window. So it had no effect on them. At the time, I don't know what it was, but the captain was like, hey, let's just Let's go. They shouldn't have anything else. We opened up the food trap to try and get them to cuff one more time. They threw some broken toilet at us and it hit me in the thigh. And I was like, what the hell was that? Well, for some reason, this segregation unit, private prison kind of stuff, right? This segregation unit had porcelain toilets. And so they broke the porcelain toilet out. And now they have all kinds of weapons for us. Holy. Yeah. And I so thought they were stainless. I thought It should have been. Like half the place was stainless. And for some reason in this pod was fucking porcelain toilets. 
And so these dudes broke it off and they have all these little pieces in there. Uh, and he threw part of that toilet through the food trap, right? That hit me. And I was like, what the hell? And the captain was like, well, they got nothing else. Let's go. And he <laughs> opens the door, dude. And the first dude goes in, the first shield man goes in uh, and he slips and falls. The second guy goes in, he slips and falls oh, because no. they, they butter the floor up with soap. And so they both fell. And I'm standing there like, oh shit. And the biggest dude, the dude that was in there for murder, I see him swinging his arm kind of like this. He's doing this. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, it was, everything was slow motion for me at that time. Like, dude, uh, 30 days prior, I'm in Afghanistan or it was like, it was probably like 45 days or so. I was in Afghanistan clearing houses, right? With a rifle in my hand, my team and everything. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm in this prison and this dude's doing this weird one thing and everything slows down. I've never seen anything like this. I was like, what is he doing? And I realized he put part of the broken toilet inside of a sock and he's beating the fucking shit out of me, dude. And I didn't realize it because I felt nothing other than watching him like, what a weird hand gesture I'm seeing, you know? And then I was like, oh shit, he's beating the fuck out of me. So I grabbed him by his chest and I started just close fist, just punching him. And that's absolutely illegal. We're not supposed to do that. But by that time, the cameraman's already on his ass too. He's, he's like, <laughs> what are you no. supposed to do? Are you going, what weapons do you have? Do you have like a baton or do you have like an asp or what do you have? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. Have, no, because what you do is if you have something, well, now they, they can, can potentially have something. So we have a radio. You know what I mean? We have a radio and hopefully manpower. Like no taser. To. You can't like toss in the smoke and then, or the CS and then <laughs> like just let them have it with a friggin' taser shotgun or something. There's different things we probably could have done now, knowing now, knowing now there's definitely things I could have left them in that room and just gassed the hell out of them, but I didn't know any better. Right. The captain's like, let's just go in. Right. Uh, there's things like sh stun shields. I probably could have brought a stun shield with me instead, but again, just 30 days on the job. Yeah, seriously. I know nothing. Yeah. You know? What if you just starve them? What if you just leave them in there? Be like, all right, have fun. See well, private prison. Private prison. Who makes the money? They make the money. Who's the liability? We are the corrections officers. That's why the private prison is just a shady business that I don't support. Yeah. Right. It's just okay. a weird, weird business. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, we fought it out. Um, he slipped and fell. He dislocated his shoulder. Uh, and I kept, I kept beating his ass because I was like, so, like, I was so freaked out by this. Like, what the hell? And they pulled him off him. We, we cuffed him up. We cuffed the other dude up. And it was just a madhouse. And I drove home that day thinking like, holy shit. I That's crazy. Yeah, dude. It was tough. Because there's nothing to extend your range. He's got something extending his range, you know, uh, essentially improvised uh, improvised weapon. And like he could have had uh, pushed that porcelain that wrapped with a little bit of that bed sheet right here for a handle, a little Absolutely. shank, you know, whatever else, draw you in close. Yeah. And you have, you, your striking distance is here and your yeah, leg. Yeah, we, we have a chest plate, right? We're wearing a, uh, we're kind of, they call us ninja trolls. We have a headgear chest plate, shin guards, like football shin guards, okay. and I think some kind of gloves. But so something. Oh, no, man. It, it, it was just a, uh, it was an experience that I never thought I would ever have to experience because like going overseas, you have so many tools yeah. you know, in Iraq and I can't, we have tools that, that make me feel more confident going into a room. Right. In this room, I have a radio and I have friends. I hope to God can fight. Right. And wow. luckily I've fought in my past. So I was willing to just, it, it, I honestly told myself like, Oh dude, this guy would kill me if he has a chance. So I have to fight. So I just started punching him like crazy. It was pretty wild. That's insanity. So you went yeah. home and you're like, okay, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> I was like, uh, let's see. <laughs> let's see. Job <laughs> openings. Uh -huh. yeah, Google. Yeah. So I applied for the Border Patrol. Uh, the hiring process took me about two years because in that two years, I had to stop. I had to freeze the hiring because I went to drill sergeant school. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once I graduated drill sergeant school, I was able to uh, reopen up the hiring. And then boom, in 2009, in June 2009, I became a Border Patrol agent. Yeah. And, and what they do is 
they offer you a location. Uh, I, it was a location I definitely did not want. They said, hey, Mr. Vargas, we're going to offer you a position at Eagle Pass, Texas. It's part of the Del Rio sector. And I've heard like, a lot about that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the hot hotbed right now, right? And uh, it said, it's in Del, it's Del Rio sector. We're going to give you the Eagle Pass North Station. And I was like, um, yes, right? Because I was terrified of saying no. Yeah. I don't know what's coming up. I don't know. Later, I find out you can say no to them two times. They'll offer you different locations. Uh, I wasn't about that life. I was like, I need this job. I want to get the hell out of the prison. Let's go. Yeah. You know? So I said, yes. And, um, you know, uh, finished the Academy. It took about six months cause I had to do the Spanish portion. I, I am not uh, bilingual. And so, um, that, that made you stay there a little bit longer. The, the Academy was cool, man. It was like, um, it was like a military version of uh, law enforcement, right? It was, it was very, I marched, you know, they made me a class leader. Obviously I'm a drill sergeant. So they made me the class leader. I'm marching everyone around showing people how to shine their boots, showing them how to press their uniforms. Uh, we have PT sessions that are awesome. The PT cadre were studs. Like yeah. they were like drill sergeants all over again, but like they do every rep with you. Like it's a super cool environment. Oh wow. Where is it? Mine was in Artesia, New Mexico. Some, some probably went to, um, there's a, there's a, there was a Fletchy before that in Glencoe, Georgia. And so, yeah, I think for now, I think all of them are, are going to be at Artesia, New Mexico since my time. Uh, that was in 2009 and it was cool, man. Seriously. The training was high speed. It was it was a lot more in depth than I thought. Uh, the the education portion was challenging, like learning immigration law than learning natural. I think it's called nat law. It's been been a while, but learning law was tough. You know, learning all the everything about this damn thing was challenging. Besides, like the PT portion that I just kind of enjoyed. You know, yeah. it was like it was just like being in the military again. But the the physical requirements was was good. The mental requirements were challenging, man. And it was like living. It was like living at college. That's what it was like. It was like living in college. And then. Uh, yeah, when you graduate, you get released to your sector. Are you doing uh, firearms training and stuff then too? Oh yeah, absolutely. What are you guys shooting? What are you guys? We're training? shooting an H an, an HKP two thousand. It was a very interesting uh, pistol. You know, uh, coming from Ranger Town, uh, I could shoot a rifle really well. I, I didn't shoot a pistol very well. We never learned. Yeah, we learned very very basics of a pistol, and that's only if you're on a gun team you carried it. I wasn't on a gun team long enough to be proficient at it. I can qualify with a nine mil Beretta, right? right? But like to shoot a P2000, the interesting thing about that pistol of choice, and I believe they changed it from 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 then, uh, that the trigger has no slack until the last minute to the wall, and then you pull it. So it's supposed to be easier for an for for like a kind of a newer shooter, mm. but um, I found it to be a challenge, man. I found it to be a challenge, and yeah, that's the the pistol we use is a P2000. The rifle is just regular M4, uh, and then we learned uh, we learned how to shoot a shotgun. Nice. What you know, shotgun do you guys have? I don't even know, man. It's just, I have no idea. I never touched a damn thing after I was done with that. Someone, someone, will, someone will say it in the comments. It's you know, probably a Mossberg 590 or Remington 870 or maybe an autoloader of some sort. Um, yeah, I don't no know. No idea. I, I was never a shotgun guy in my whole entire life. And, you know, I used a shotgun for breaching when I was in the military. And that's about the extent of what I yeah, ever wanted. Most military is just, just for breaching. But you yeah. can shoot that thing like a rifle. I love the I love the shotgun. I got taught by some guys that uh, knew what they were doing with it back in the day. And so we learned to, to shoot that thing like a rifle, essentially. There's, but, some, there's some new ones nowadays that look like an AR platform mm -hmm. uh, shotgun, which are super sweet. Yeah. And, and yeah, those I'd be down with. But the one in the middle, it was like, what do you choose for your long arm, right? Do you want an M4 or do you want a shotgun? I was like, I'm M4. That's yeah. the only thing I'm proficient at, right? I really know it. And so, yeah, we did that. We did some cool tactics in there. You know, we did some driving training. Nice. Um, I, you know, that was fun. We did, we did all kinds of stuff. It's a really cool, very extensive, um, academy. Um, I've never done anything like that because I've never done law enforcement. The, 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 
the uh, prison system didn't have that in for this private prison. So it was my first real uh, kind of like academy I've ever done. And yeah. I, I had a blast. Nice. Then you get to your unit and you're kind of have to go through the whole FTO phase, right? Field did you do poly before this? Did they poly you before you go oh, to academy? Dude. Okay. I have a story. So they did poly <laughs> before you even get to the academy. And it's not a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle poly, right? For those who have been to like the agency CIA, it's like, it's, it's more like criminal background type. Poly, yeah. Right? Drugs, background, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's the, it's an interesting thing because I never had to do it. I got very fortunate. I left Ranger town with a, with the TS clearance, right? Like, okay. like a high level TS clearance. And so, um, there was some question about like drug history in my past, you know, high school days, whatever. And they were like concerned. They were like, well, you know, normally this would be a concern of ours, but you haven't shown any kind of things. So you've been in the military this whole time, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, you know, we're going to waive the, the uh, polygraph for you because of your clearance you have in the military. Cause I still had the clearance. It, it wasn't yeah. going away. And dude, that was a blessing because I've had very good people um, fail that polygraph for things that didn't make sense. Right. Guys, that, like one guy, he said he stole like uh, an ice cream from a store when he was like seven and they booted him. They said no, you know? And so it's a very, very challenging test. Yeah. A lot, a lot of guys I know who, who I think are better men than me couldn't get through it. And I think, yeah, don't go in cold. I mean, if, I mean, if you're a good dude, <laughs> you're listening to this, like, you know, I don't know. It might make sense to study a little bit. Uh, or read my, uh, fourth novel. I start out, I use the poly as a way to catch readers up on what's happened on the first three. So I have a polygraph guy going through with James Reese, my main character. So I kind of use the poly cause I went, went through it. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And there's a reason it's not, uh, you know, admissible in a court of law in the United right. States. Like there's a reason. So maybe yeah. do a little research on that, uh, before you sit down in that chair. Yeah, going with man. plan, going with plan. Like with anything in life. Yeah. Don't wing it. I don't think don't wing it in there. I, I was blessed. I didn't have to do it. And so I was, you know, I knew it was, it was a, it was a straight shot from there. And so nice. Um, yeah. After the Academy I went to my sector and started to work, man. Um, and they throw I you did. right on a team and you're like day one, you show up. Is it kind of like, you know, what you no, see on TV you, is a, like a, a new cop type thing. You have somebody that's experienced or you just like throwing in the car and they're like, Hey, yeah. go cut sign and go do your thing. They have this, they have this interesting, like, process where you start as an FTO in an FTO unit. So you have one guy. So field training officer for those. Yeah, so you have one dude training about five of us, kind of the, the lay of the land. He slowly introduces how to, how to, how to cut signs, slowly introduces like what it's like to apprehend, slowly shows us uh, what it's like to process someone after you've apprehended them. So within a few weeks of working with him, we kind of get the lay of the land and understanding. And then we slowly start integrating with our unit In our unit. We have another uh, field training officer, but that is just a one-on-one. That's like the senior dude and you, and they're kind of writing reports on you throughout the, throughout the time. Mm -hmm. And they all have to give you a good report to make sure that you get stayed, you know, you get brought on as a journeyman. But that's, I mean, once you're with your dude, you're, 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 a, you're an agent, man. You're, you're, you're catching dope. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're chasing groups. You're in failure to yield. You're all in it. You're, you're, you're a dude. You're, you're already doing the job. And so once you get off that field training officer kind of moment and get thrown into your unit, you're doing the job, man. And there's times that they, they will, they expect you to do a lot and being new, it's, it's, a, it's a, it was a lot of overwhelming stuff to manage. And you have to, before you get on, be, be able to try out for any special operations, you have to do two years in the Border Patrol. I don't know if that's true now. I've heard they're trying to waive that for special operations guys, guys with special operations backgrounds. But still, it was two years I had to do before I could even try out for any kind of special operations unit. 
And so I was just kind of doing my time. And by chance, I got lucky. The military activated me to be a drill sergeant for one of those years. Okay. So I was like, I was like, I love you guys. I'm out. Got to go to Fort Sill, push troops for a year. Really? Yep. Dude, it was, it was crazy how it went down. And then I came back and I had about two months to finish off some paperwork. And then boom, I was able to try out for my first special operations team. Okay, man. So, I mean, what a crazy thing to do to throw somebody in a vehicle off you go. You're essentially, uh, you know, the one person standing on a line with no fence and you're the border uh, in a lot of places. Um, I got to go with the Bortac guys. I want to ask you about that in a second, but I got to really fortunate that I got to do a tracking course with them for a week. Uh, or maybe it was two, at least a week, um, down in, uh, in San Diego. Uh, and that was really cool. And it ended up, you know, we all got to go out with just like one, eventually with one other person, with one border patrol, Bortac guy, and, uh, just be with him for a few days. And we just did the, did the stuff and kind of like more normal border patrol stuff. But he was just showing yeah. us that, that side of it, mostly the tracking. Cause that was the course was about yeah. the tracking That's, and yeah. seeing all the things that uh that uh, people coming across do uh it's adapting it's adapting to what we're doing and then they're adapting just a, just like warfare um but what was cool was appealing to me about it was that i was alone like i was coming from a team and then it was just me and this one bortac guy and we're out there and it's just us and we're talking about the times that you are you know, alone out there. And you know, that part of that is appealing. And part of it's like, well, where's the rest of the guy? Where's your backup? Where's your, where's, who are you sending to like flank as you're coming in here to get them in an L ambush just in case you need to yeah. or whatever. Um, and it didn't exist in a lot of cases. And so I'm learning about the tracking. I'm learning about what people coming across are doing um, to, to evade capture. Uh, and that was really, that was really appealing. Like having your, having your, a pistol, a rifle and a shotgun and your, and your Bronco or whatever it was, you know, that's pretty dang cool. Kind of like a, uh, uh, a wildlife enforcement, uh, type of yeah. a warden, you know, like you're out there alone and, uh, are these people armed, are they not, who are they? Uh, are they just coming across or are they, uh, coming across with some sort of nefarious intent other than just, you know, coming across illegally. But, uh, man, it's, it's wild. Dude, it's, it's insane. So when I was in the Academy, uh, we already heard there was one border station who was killed. Then he was killed. What we heard was kind of, kind of like an ambush. Uh, he went to go check a bug, which is like a sensor. He went to go check that location and some, something happened in there, an altercation with other illegal immigrants that chose to kill him. And so we knew that story. And I was Did they like, have an AK? Is that was the AK? No, what, what I believe is they, I'll tell you that one later, okay. but this one, um, the, what, what was heard, and I could be wrong, but it was killed him with his own service pistol, pretty oh, much man. beat him up and then took his own service pistol and shot him. Right. Uh, and then I, as I'm activated, uh, with the military, I hear the story of Brian Terry. Right, so Brian Brian Terry was killed, right? And Brian Terry was a was a board attacker who was on an operation, and uh, there was a rip cruise in the area, and one of the rip crews came uh, w- w- with with you know AK forty sevens, and you know they engaged and they they hit Brian Terry and, and it killed him on scene. For people and interested so, in more about that, you can read uh, Katie Pavlich's book called Fast and the Furious. Yes, yes, absolutely, and and I I touch on it in my book as well uh, because I felt I had to give honor to that. He's the reason why I went medical instead of instead of Bortec. Yeah. Okay. I want, I want Bortec because, because of that. Um, but yeah. And so you hear these stories, you know, these stories and you're sitting there like, man, you never know. Right. And it is us, it is us. And sometimes it's two hours between you and anyone else, you know, and, and half the time you're working at dark because that's when the traffic works, right? Traffic is happening at night. Doesn't it, doesn't happen broad daylight very often. It's at night. The sun goes down, boom, everyone's out. And so you're in the middle of nowhere by yourself. It's easy to spook yourself. It's easy to, to have all these thoughts, right? And it's, and it's easy to like 
when you see a group or you're trying to apprehend a group, you're like, yo, I need backup, I need backup, I need backup. And you're running and going. You hear these you hear these calls over the radio. You know, they're hasty. Like, hey, I got bodies, I got bodies, I got bodies. And you're like, oh, location, where's your location? And, and dude, we're jumping in our trucks and we're driving as fast as we can. And it could take us 20 minutes. And you hope to God that they're safe at the time. And it's just, it's a very, dude, dude, people don't understand the job and how challenging it can be. And all because you're trying to do a righteous thing by just protecting the land. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting it's an interesting space. Oh, it really is, man. And so BORTAC, for those that uh, don't know, it's like the Border Patrol Special Operations Unit. Is that the best way to describe yeah, them? Yeah, it's like, it's like our Border Patrol version of SWAT. You know, they're our tactical team. They they do anything that a SWAT team can do, we do as well. Uh, but they also, you know, they do all the Border Patrol work as well. So it's just very well-rounded and I believe one of the best tactical units in the world at the moment. Man. Yeah, I was t- super impressed working with those uh, the guys just in training. Um, yeah, I learned, uh, learned a ton from those guys. Uh, and then BORSTAR, so that's the search and rescue Unit. Yeah. So does each station have a bore star or is that how it, it works? Yeah, or is it like sectors? Same, same as bore tech, you know? So, you know, when it first started, it was really just kind of like to, to help with, you know, a lot of legal immigrants come over and they're dehydrated. They have their feet are messed up from coming across to get bit by snakes, whatever the case. Right. And so it was initially started to one help with the border patrol agents themselves that maybe be, you know, be affected by the, 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 the heat or whatever the case, but as well as the, the, uh, the illegal immigrants, you know, who, might call 911 because they're stuck on a hill or a cliff or whatever the case. And so it's eventually evolved into being more integrated with BORTAC and, and there's a, a wing of it that is the tactical medicine side of it. And that's what I did. Uh, but we we are kind of like the civilian version of a, of a PJ, of a mm-hmm. pararescue jumper. You know, we can do long line rescues. We can do uh, swift water rescues. I've done all that. Uh, we do medical. Uh, a lot of our guys are austere. Uh, a lot of them are paramedics. You know, we we as EMTs or EMTIs, which back then they had EMTIs. So we were able to do intubations. We were able to do, you know, tubes because of the fact that we are two hours usually from definitive care. So we had to have a little bit higher level of medical training. Uh, and, and then eventually, you know, with the whole Brian Terry situation, they started to understand that for some reason, the Border Patrol is years behind, right? I'm not sure why, but the Border Patrol's concepts was year behind. Like, why wouldn't you have a medic on the team? Why wouldn't you have it attached, right? Because because to me, it's what we did in special operations. I love my medics. They were always with us, you know what I mean? And same as on all the teams, right? All the oh, special yeah. operations teams. For some reason, Bortac, um, they pushed against that. You know, they had their basics of 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 TCCC, but they didn't have a medic on, on standby. Uh-huh. And if they did, they were in the truck, you know, an hour away. You know what I mean? So it's really weird thought process that didn't, that, that, uh, didn't age well. Right. Yeah. Because eventually you start to realize, well, why aren't we doing the same as what special operations does overseas? And so eventually a lot of us who were interested in doing the tactical medicine side of it started to integrate with the teams and become, you know, just one with the team. Nice. And, uh, I started doing that in Del Rio. I became, you know, they, they trust, they knew I was a ranger, right? They trusted me. They were like, Hey, we'd love to have you as a medic. I'm like, let's do it. Started activating with them down to La Grulla and, and Rio and, and McAllen at the time was the hotbed of drugs and illegal immigration. And so we were running ops down there for a while. It was almost like a deployment, right? We, we cut it like a little bit of a deployment because yeah. we would leave for like four months or three months at a time and, and work down there and do as much, as much as we can. And then we'd head back home uh, and did a couple rounds of that. And then, I got laterally transferred um, to SOG, Special Operations Group. That's like our, I, I wouldn't, I'm going to say this lightly, but it's like our deaf group, right? It's like there our, you go. but it's, it, you know, I'm going to say it that way, but it's perfect. But it's, yeah, I don't want to really compare it that way. <laughs> um, but it is kind of the, our, it's our national and also worldwide response team. If there's a need, uh, we pull from the SOG to go worldwide. It, we, we can go anywhere. Uh, and so, and, and it is the, it is kind of version of the, the tier one version 
of of us. We have we're we're at the flagpole. We're the we're the headquarters. We have all the funding, uh, and so I went to the SOG and I helped them kind of integrate the tactical medicine into the mm-hmm. board star selection. I became a cadre for board star selection okay. uh, for the national teams. And I helped run uh, a lot of the TCCC. Essentially I integrated the standard operating procedures for tactics into board star so that board star uh, medics can have a little bit more fundamentals of clearing rooms of patrolling and understanding that side of things. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, after my couple of years of that, I was like, it's time to get back on a team. I talked to one of the board tackers who was a former ranger. I said, Bro, throw me in as a medic. Let's go. And boom, uh, I was working with them until I was working with Bortac until I ended up leaving in, in 2015. No kidding. What, um, is this where you do the, uh, tracking those guys that escaped from prison? Who are those guys? Yeah, like, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Richard, that, Richard, Matt and David sweat or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was kind of crazy. So we, we, we just got back from doing a, an op with some other three letter agencies and, uh, you know, all our gear was ready cause we just got done working, you know what I mean? And I went home, I was having dinner with the kids, I was, I was setting up a, a you know, a birthday party for one of my daughters and, uh, man, my, my team leader, uh, he calls me and goes, Hey, uh, Vargas, it's time. We got, we got another mission. I'm like, Oh, okay. we were all kind of watching, bro. We all kind of watched it. We saw it on the news and we're like, yeah. when are they going to call us? You know, or yeah. if they're gonna, right. Is it, you know, we get called for stuff that, that is potential word of like, Hey, they're probably going to head towards a border. Okay, cool. Then you, then you activate us, right. Because this is what we do. As well as if it's a tracking thing, I don't think there's another agency that tracks as well as we do because this is what we do daily. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, if you need to track people, let's give us a call early, you know? And so by this time, I think it was six days down uh, and they gave us a call and we went out there to, you know, Donna, Donna Moore, I believe it was called is, is the area, you know, as a two escape convicts, they, they ended up getting uh, in a good relationship with one of the corrections officers who helped them escape. Uh, I believe it was a sexual relationship as well. I mean, there's a there's a whole movie on it called uh, Escape from Don Mora or something like that. Okay. Ben Stiller did it, which is funny. My whole team was there besides me filming that. I was like, hey, I'm the actor, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh man. So, yeah. So we were out there. You know, we were we were we were pushing close to them. We we're gathering intel. We we're we we're tracking. We 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 showed up to a couple of dry holes, but they were definitely there. You know, we we did boat ops to get to an island. We ended up doing air ops to get to a, to an abandoned school that they were, they were housing up in. And we kept just falling short, right? We kept missing them by either hours or days, whatever it was. Um, and about seven days of the search, it's about day seven of that. Uh, we thought we probably hit a dry hole. Everyone, everyone was kind of like, look, we, we have to kind of be standby. We, we have no Intel. And my daughter's birthday was coming up. And I asked my team leader, I said, dude, do you mind if I fly home real quick to go to my daughter's birthday? And uh, they were like, yeah, man, just go knock that out and come right back. I'm like, too easy, dude. So I flew home, man. I flew home. I'm getting things prepped. For- and, and remember, like I've been deployed for so many years. I've been busy for so many years. I've been doing school, military schools for so long. I miss every birthday you can think of. So it's kind of yeah. the time in my life where I'm like, please be a better dad. You know right. what I mean? Like try, try and be home. Right. So that's going on in my heart at the time. I'm like, dude, I just got to see this girl's birthday. And so I flew home, man. And at this time, I was also part of a... Uh, kind of the the emotional response team as well. If someone's going through any kind of crisis, they can call me. I went through some training for that. Mm. So I'm sitting there. I'm actually preparing um, dinner for the barbecue, and I get a call from my team leader, and he goes, "Hey, dude, I don't know if you saw the news. I told my dad to turn on the fucking news." Oh, and uh, got him. Yeah, they end up getting him. Yeah, and he's calling me saying. I know I'm supposed to call you for things like this. I'm like, dude, and I'm crying. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Are you kidding me? I fucking missed it, dude. I'm, I'm the medic, bro. And I left them hanging and it ate my heart oh, up. So it, tough. It, it hurt me so bad to be 
to leave them hanging like that. And I thought I was doing the right thing by my family. I ended up doing the wrong thing by my other family. Right. So and, I, and I'm playing, I'm trying to give everyone a hundred percent of me and, and someone's always going to fall short. And then that yeah. day, um, it haunted me, dude. And I actually resigned, uh, four days later. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. My heart was already kind of changing. I was, I was doing some, some, I was doing some business stuff. You know, I was, that was making me a decent amount of money. I started to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel thinking I could be home more often with my kids if this business stuff does well. Um, and being a half-assed medic was dangerous and, yeah. and, you know, and giving them, you know, that excuse to go home. I never would have done that in Ranger Town. I've never would have done it early in my career, but I was going through, you know, I was potentially going through my second divorce and I was like, dude, I need to give these kids like everything. And so a lot of things in my life was transitioning into like, it's time to walk away from the running and gunning side of my life. Mm -hmm. and so maybe this business sign that was hopefully going to make me enough money to survive. And when my heart was making that transition, that's when I knew, man, I said, Hey, I love you guys, but I got to hang it up, man. You guys are not getting the ver best version of me and that's not fair. And so I resigned. Well, I mean, that's a, uh, it says a lot that you recognize that a lot of people don't recognize when it's time. Um, and what was the business you're working on? I was part of article 15 clothing, man. Okay. You know, we, yeah. You yeah. Know we that. did article 15 clothing and then we did, uh, you know, lead singers whiskey. And then we still I, have I, some I, lead singers whiskey. Is that still out there by the way, guys? That's still, it is. you know, we're having some business issues, right? Like we got screwed over by a couple of distributors and we're trying to, you know, and then COVID didn't help. So we're, we're, we're still, we're still floating, man. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm on those phone calls often trying to make that figured out. Uh, you know, warfighter tobacco. I started warfighter tobacco with some friends and that's going well still. Nice. I'll get you, I'll send you some cigars. Yeah. Man. I think I was just looking at that a few months ago. Everything's blended into one long day over the last year, essentially. <laughs> I was looking at that not too long ago, I think, but I didn't know you were involved. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to send you something you can oh, put right there you. in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. Man, well, that's, that's cool. So you're doing uh, multiple businesses essentially. Yeah. We, we kind of were doing serial business, business entrepreneur stuff, you know, um, and the same guys are involved in those things were the guys who went off and did black rifle coffee. Yeah. So, so we just kind of split ways. I went, we produced a movie called range 15 and that was it for me, dude. I was like, okay, fuck this. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Oh, like, how do okay. I do that? Really? So that movie was the thing where you're like, wow, I love this. That was it. Because I, we were doing YouTube, right? And it was kind of a, it was a touch of acting, but it wasn't yeah, really, sure. right? We were making fun of ourselves, but I felt, I felt the same thing I felt in college when I was doing theater. And I was like, man, this is, this is more on the path of where I'd like to take my life. I've always been a creative, but I've just always been good at the gun, man. I've always mm -hmm. been good at the, the running and gunning. And um, I lost a lot of the creative side of me and it was starting to come back with YouTube and, and these videos we were doing. And, and I really had a good time with it. And so when we decided to do range 15, I knew like, I'm going to walk away from everything and give all my efforts into acting. Oh, and, uh, you know, within, you know, within a year of, of, of range 15 coming out, boom, I landed mines. No way. How did you, did you learn on that? Like the process of, did you, getting an agent or putting a tape together or getting a, getting a connection to somebody? Like, how did you go from, you know, yeah. this, uh, independent film for lack of a better term, running a crowdsourced or however that was, that was done, um, from there to landing Mayans? Like, how did you go about figuring yeah. out what you're supposed to do? Cause I think a lot of people are just like, I don't even know the first thing. Like, how would you even know if there's an audition and then do you have yeah. to do something first in order to get an audition or can you just sign up or does it depend on the project or like, what is, uh. Uh, what was, how did you figure out what to do to, yeah. to even get mines? I'm kind of a psychopath when it comes to researching, dude, you know what I mean? And so it started like I did theater in college. So I had a, I had a foundation of what, you know, building a character. I had a foundation of understanding, you know, uh, the emotions you have to in, and the intent. So there was already kind of a little foundation because 
I did theater because I needed I needed an easy A, right? So I had a little like bit that of ceramics a course. Yeah, <laughs> got me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so I had a little bit of a background there, and then when we did Range Fifteen, I was able to meet a couple people. Uh, but after Range Fifteen, I made a, a short film, and so I used Range Fifteen. I used the short film. I used a few other little improv comedy things I did. And I made it. I made a reel. I knew I needed a reel, right? In my research, you need a reel. It's like the digital resume of showing you could actually put words on the film mm -hmm. and look the part. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so I was able to make a reel. Uh, I had a bio. I did headshots because I was kind of ahead of the game. I knew what I needed to do. I knew where I needed to go. Mm -hmm. But um, I was in L.A. doing my second round of a, of a comedy. Is this kind of a skit comedy, improv comedy called Dads in Parks. You can find that on YouTube. It's just like two dads sitting on a park bench and just ripping back and forth. Um, and we we just loosely wrote these concepts and then we kind of just we ad libbed and improv the whole time. And, and they did really well. Nice. We got a we ended up getting a contract with AMC movie theaters to to do these clips before the previews started. Oh, that's awesome. right? so, yeah. So it was kind of cool. So we flew back there. Me and my wife flew to LA to, to do our second round of those. Um, and I heard, I just like, I heard, so, I don't know where I heard it. Someone said, mine's is still auditioning. And so I text the only actor friend I've ever known to really do the thing. And it was a guy named Steve Howie, who was a big actor. He's on shameless, right? He's, he plays one of the characters on shameless. And I said, Steve, I don't want to ask for much, man, but um, I would love to audition for Mayans. I just don't know what, what I need to do. He goes, dude, I know the casting director. Send me your reel. Send me your headshot. Send me your bio. I sent it to him. Dude, within two hours, I had sides in my fucking email and a schedule for the next day to go do the audition. That's awesome. And I was like, oh, well, this ain't that hard, right? <laughs> Little did I know that's not the way this normally goes. It's that's kind of fantastic. a Cinderella story, right? So... I'm reading these sides and he, we have a meeting, right? He shows up to a, to a breakfast the next day. He goes, Hey dude, check it out. You've, you've been at war. Don't fucking go in there scared. Go in there and do your fucking thing. Be off, be off book, right? Be off paper, like memorize the lines and go in there. Like you fucking own the place. I'm like, okay, cool. So we drive over there. I shave my head. I have a picture somewhere on my social media of the, the day me driving there. Right. I wear, you know, I look like a, I look like a badass in my head. I thought I did. Um, and I knew the lines, right? And I memorized the lines the best I could. I showed up there and did the audition. This is my first ever audition in real life. I've never, I've done one little thing when I was like 18 and it was nothing like this. And I, and I bombed that one terribly. So this is like my first real opportunity of an audition. And me and my wife were like, what if we get this? And she's like, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. You know what I mean? And, uh, we did the first audition. She gave me a big old hug. She gave me a huge kiss on the cheek, huge kiss to my wife. And I'm like, it must be so nice here in Hollywood. You know what I mean? She, she, <laughs> yeah. she loved us, right? So we flew back home at the time, still living in El Paso where I was an SOG member, right? Still in the same house when I was working. Okay. Um, I get an email that Kurt Sutter wants to see me and do a second read. And so I get my second audition. And, um, you know, we, we now have a, a comedy character and a serious character. So as I'm flying back, I had to fly back alone because my wife was there with the kids. Um, my dad picked me up. And he said, let's go. I said, cool. I said, I'm studying these lines. I'm just going to go over them. Like, just, just get there. Right. We're, we're, we're going to, I don't want to be late. So we get there. There's no one in the room. There's no other people auditioning. So normally I heard there's a lot of people auditioning. No, I just walked in. Kurt's in there. I think Elgin was there too, but I'm, I'm completely blacked out on it. Right. Uh -huh. It's such a blur to me. I know Wendy was there and uh, they said, you ready? I said, yep. Shook everyone's hand. Started. Boom. Did the serious character again. This is the second time I'm doing this character because I did in the first one. Then I did the comedy character. And I'm going to tell you, I honestly, I felt like Will Ferrell in, in old school because I completely blacked out. <laughs> I don't remember yeah. nothing. Yeah. I remember coming to and we're all laughing. I'm laughing. I'm like full serious chuckle laughing. Yeah. Like I didn't laugh. They're laughing. And I'm like, oh, 
oh shit, it, I, did, I guess I did it, right? And shook their hands and I fucking left, right? And that's where my dad was like, Sonny, I wasn't jumping on nice. my back. And then Kurt saw me. And then one week later, man, I'm on my first real Hollywood set. Dude, that's amazing. That is awesome. And how long has this been now? Oh uh, man, we're coming up on six years because we did the first pilot and then they threw out the first pilot. Mm. I was I was like, okay, cool. I'm blessed I, I had a chance. And then they, re, they repurposed my character. They blended mine and another character and gave me no more. No way. More they threw out the pilot. Yeah, they threw, dude. That's it's wild. Un, it's unheard of, dude. Yeah. The money they spent You spend a lot it, on that pilot. Yeah, and they threw it out. They said, nope, we're not doing that one. They didn't like it. Interesting. They, they, they got rid of a few actors. They felt just weren't bringing the character to life. Yeah. Um, they made my character a bigger character. I was told that my character was going to get killed. And I was like, cool, dude. I got my first. I don't care. I yeah, mean, yeah. You're going to kill me within the first minute. Right, right. I, I was pumped. Yeah. <laughs> but they ended up repurposing my character. They brought him into this kind of this this faction of four younger MC dudes. Mm -hmm. You guys ever watched the show? The first two, first two seasons, it kind of portrays that. Um, and yeah, dude. So we did the second pilot. And boom. We it just it took off. And wow! Now, so big difference now, between that first and second pilot in your eyes. Like, did you get to see the pilot that th got thrown out? The end product? No. no, no, didn't even get to see it. You know, um, I I don't know what what went wrong. To be right. honest, I wasn't even you know wasn't right. even intelligent enough at the time uh, about film to know anything. I right. just I thought it was cool. Uh, and then we did the second part and I was like, oh, this is, it's a little bit more organized, a little bit okay. more controlled. You know, the, the vision is, is there uh, and the characters, you know, one of the actors, uh, you know, uh, they changed out um, for Michael Irby, his, his character's Bishop, but before him was a guy named John, John Ortiz. John Ortiz is a brilliant actor, like one of the most trained, brilliant actors out there, but what, what Michael Irby brought to that character was a little bit more grit that I was like, oh, man, I see that. I see, John Ortiz is great. He could pull off anything. But for Bishop, Michael Irby was perfect, dude. Uh, I just thought, like, oh, I just think he's just brilliant at it. And so, you know, little little changes like that, I think, really brought the characters to life, the grittiness to them, the little bit more, like, honesty to that toughness. Uh, and, uh, yeah, man, we're going, on, we're going on season five now. The show is ending. This is the, uh, this is the last of it. Yeah, we're, we're wrapping up the series. We're wrapping it up, and uh, you know, and it's it's been a hell of a ride. That's amazing, man. And you uh, filmed all in L.A. Or you filmed that? I'm all in L.A. Yeah, we have a studio. The Santa Clarita Studios is where we shoot out of. Nice. So you would go back and forth like each week, and then oh, come I'm back there. weekends, or how, what? What were your? Was that because like? I'm st I'm still on the whole trip of being a better father for my kids. I fly home every single weekend, every single break. I've negotiated that into my contract, a, a budget for travel. I'm here today. I'm actually flying out tomorrow to finish, oh, wow. to finish filming. Yeah. No kidding. Is that one of your final episodes to film or what do you got? No, I have a couple more. I'm, okay. I'm also a writer, so I'm writing episode eight right now. Nice. So we're in the middle. Yeah. I'm, I'm awesome. The, Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got honored with getting a chance to write this season, you know, part of the guild now and nice. You know, um, you nice. know, I was helping kind of orchestrate my character. They said, Hey, your character's a veteran. What are some ideas? And I kind of throw some stuff out there. I wrote it, I wrote some stuff and, mm -hmm. and, you know, with their help, you know, we ended up bringing it to life and we've kind of continued down that path. And so this year, you know, they gave me the opportunity to write. I graduated the, the writer's guild veteran program, which is a beautiful program that they have for, for veterans, any veterans out there that are looking to get into writing and screenwriting and learning the, the writer's guild has a veteran program. They do a, a writer's course uh, about once a year. It took about a year and a half graduated from that. And I, I told Elgin, I said, dude, 
graduated from this course. I've been, I've been helping with my character. What do I need to do to get on board? And he said, let's do it. Nice. And he, just, he blessed me with that opportunity. Man. That's and awesome. So, Currently writing episode eight and stressed out like all hell. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. That's oh, I love it. I love to hear that. And then what's going on? What are you, are you thinking? Of, like, what are you thinking as far as uh, thinking ahead? Like when this thing wraps up and you have your rap party, and then it maybe comes on. You have know, many months later, it uh, it premieres, and you watch it through the season. Like, what's uh, what's next for you? Writing or and acting? Yeah. What's looking? Look, what's it looking like? I'm trying to keep this, uh, you know, this this entertainment lifestyle yeah. uh, a thing. So, you know, what we do, I have my representation, I have my managers, I have my agents, I have a literary agent, I have a book agent, I have a, a an acting agent, a theatrical agent, right? We have the whole team. Yeah. And everyone's out there fighting for me right now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on them like a dog. I said, right now is when we work. Like, let's, let's make things happen. My dream is to come into Hollywood as a showrunner. Nice. So I'm trying to make the steps towards becoming a showrunner. And for those listening, showrunner, I didn't really know what a showrunner was until my show. And, yeah. uh, you know, because you, you you grow up and you watch movies and you know what a director is. And then, you know, when you watch credits on a TV show, you still see director on there at the end of the credits. And then, you know, the show would start or whatever. Um, so you don't really think about a showrunner unless you're in the business. Now it's becoming people are understanding more about what it is just because people are interested in, like, what's going on with Game of Thrones or what's going on with this yeah. show. And then they start to hear this thing called the show runner and so i think it's people understand what it is a little more today but yeah, uh, for like those listening it, right? what's that it's like the facilitator of the show it's like yeah the singular point of contact for and it, i only have one experience with this right so it could be different for a show but, um but the singular point of contact essentially for everything like everything comes back to this show runner because in a show you have multiple directors depending on how many episodes there are you could have seven eight 24, whatever it is, um, different directors prepping those directors, uh, for the, for what they're going to do coming up while you're currently filming the episode that you're in while you're editing the one that you've just done. Um, and the person that, that brings all that stuff together is the, is the showrunner. So yeah, a lot of the responsibilities yeah. of like a director, when you think of a Steven Spielberg on set on like Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark or whatever, a lot of that responsibility falls to a showrunner in series television. That's a, that's awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, that's the goal. I want to get into show running. I want to. I want to be. You know, I want to create my own shows. You know, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm working right now on seeing where this book goes. Maybe it can open up a, a border patrol show. I have all the experience. I have all the access to the border patrol. I've done it, lived it, and I'm also in Hollywood, so I don't see like it would be hard to do. But you know, this this is a this is a career field that everyone has an idea, right? Everyone has a script. It's like in Nashville, everyone has a song. Everyone's a singer songwriter. In Hollywood, everyone has a script, man. And so. Oh, yeah. I have to have, you know, the opportunity of someone still has to open up that door and give me the chance. And that's the dream to be a showrunner, to, to be a show creator mm -hmm. and to continue to write and act. If I can continue to do all of those, man, I would, I would be very happy. I love acting. It's, there's something so therapeutic about it for me, but I also love writing. And so anything in those spaces, man, I'm going to continue to try and try and uh, keep the lights on. Oh man, man. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, uh, the show, I mean, sorry, the book, uh, when does that come out? Cause I saw, I know I saw an early copy months and months ago. Uh, I yeah. read it and, um, and sent you the blur for it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, especially now if you're just watching the news, like I think you need a little more context. If you're watching that three minute clip on the news or something like that, like read this book because it gives you the history. It gives you the personal side. There's some opinion in there from someone who has been there on the ground. So I highly encourage everybody to, to pick this book up. When is it, when is it coming out? Yeah. So the book comes out November 15th. You can pre-order it right now anywhere you buy books, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It don't matter. You can buy that book there. Uh, we'll be doing a book tour eventually. You know, the PR is probably going to yell at me for mentioning it, but I don't care. I mean, this, no, you do know, this, is what we, this is what we do, man. The yep. book is uh, 
the book is honest, man, and it's honest uh, representation of what I did and what the career field does. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on immigration, but I am an expert in the Border Patrol job. Mm -hmm. And so I told the story of what it does. I think you guys would love it. Let your friends know. Like I said, you can pre-order it anywhere. It's called Borderline, written by Vincent Vargas. And Jocko wrote the forward, and he's actually – there's more to that I can't mention, but we'll mention it later, awesome. uh, and it's pretty exciting. But, yeah, man, you know, there's that in the TV show Mayans. If you guys are out there and you're looking for a show, it's a really good show. Go check out Mayans. It's on FX and Hulu. Uh, season 5 It will be coming out shortly. I don't have an actual date on that, but, you know, I imagine it's going to be in the same time frame as the other ones, April, May sometime. Uh, and go check that out as well. Awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I want you to go spend some time with your family. Now I feel guilty that I took you for an hour and 24 minutes. So uh, <laughs> I want you to go spend some time with the family before you fly off and go uh, go film some more Mayans. So man, thank you so much for spending this time. And thank you for giving me a uh, early look at the book and uh, for everything you've done for, for this nation, man. It's sincerely appreciated. Thank you, man. Let's find some time. We don't live far from each other. So I know, I know. We got to link up to the UFC a little while ago, which was <laughs> awesome. Uh, it was a great night. Um, but uh, yeah, let's do it again soon. All right, brother. Thank you so much. You guys All right. have a good day. Take care, brother. All right. Navy Federal Credit Union. Those dreaded finances. Managing your money can be hard. They're competing goals, growing savings, paying debt, managing every day and unexpected expenses, plus a little having fun. Navy Federal Credit Union takes the legwork out of saving and investing with a variety of choices. Want to supersize your savings earnings? They're offering some of their highest rates in 10 years. And whether you choose savings or investments, you can make it easier by automating. Plus, their website has articles, tips, and tools that make complicated subjects easier to understand. I've been a member since 1996, my first year in the Navy. For those watching, you can see my Navy Federal Credit Union cue card right there. And they have been awesome to me and my family over all these years. So check out Navy Federal's supercharged rates at navyfederal.org slash save and invest. Saving products insured by NCUA, investment options are available through Navy Federal Investment Services and are not insured by NCUA. Check them out, navyfederal.org. Aimpoint, proven, reliable, trusted. Absolutely love Aimpoint. Have a long-standing relationship with them as an end user. You can go to my Instagram and scroll through and see a couple pictures of me from Afghanistan back in the early days, rocking and Aimpoint. So uh, they are near and dear to my heart. Aimpoint, the originator of Red Dot Site technology. Aimpoint has dominated the category since 1975. Originally developed for hunting purposes, the sites were adopted by the U.S. Army in 1997, one year after I went into the military. Today, Aimpoint sites are trusted by millions of elite forces, special forces worldwide, as well as professional hunters for dangerous game hunts. From novice shooters to the highest skill levels, Aimpoint sites are built to make the user most effective in high stress situations. And yes, you did see the Aimpoint Micro T2 in the terminal list. It came out this past summer. This is mine right here. The T2 has been on this rifle for a year, year and a half, two years now. Absolutely love it. This thing is small. It lasts forever and it is tough. So that's what I trust on my personal rifle here, and for anybody out there that's running ARs, I think you need that sling, you need a light, and you need an aim point 
optics. So those would be the three things that I would put on any AR. And right here, it was designed for users who require an extremely rugged, lightweight, and compact sight. The Micro T2 optic has unmatched optical clarity and can withstand the physical abuse necessary for demanding end users, just like James Reese. Nice. Love it. Aimpoint's Elite Exclusives presents the configurations used by specialized units across the U.S. military and law enforcement agencies. This package consists of the Micro T2 Red Dot Optic paired with a co-witness mount found only on the Aimpoint web store. This configuration is only available for a limited time. And right now, this March, if you purchase yours, you will receive a free signed hardcover of the Devil's Hand. I get a lot of questions about where people can find signed copies of my novels. And let me tell you, at aimpoint.com. So go check it out, aimpoint.info, that's I-N-F-O, slash jackcar, and use code jackcar, that is J-A-C-K-C-A-R-R, and pick your T2 up today. Today's episode is also brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Grab a can of Black Rifle Coffee's ready-to-drink, the perfect balance of quality and convenience. If you want a Spartan-level caffeine kick, try Ready to Drink 300, available in salted caramel, vanilla bomb, and more. Made with an electrifying blend of MCT oil and amino acids, Ready to Drink 300 packs a caffeine punch that'll supercharge your day. Ready to Drink is perfect if you need your coffee quick, and shopping with Black Rifle Coffee helps give back to the veterans and first responders who serve our nation. You can stock up on cans at blackriflecoffee.com or grab an ice cold can at a convenience store near you. You can stock up at blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash DangerClose for 20% off. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, where to start today? Probably with this SIG pistol right here, the SIG P365. This one is from the custom shop right here. So let's check this thing out. has a red dot sight on it. This is the Romeo Zero Elite. Oh, if you do not have... 365 or 365 XL, one of the variations that is out there, the X Macro. Um, these things are awesome. So this is my everyday carry right here, one of those variations, and absolutely love it. And then right here, bam, optimized for concealed carry, optimized for these subcompact pistols. This is the SIG ammo. So I've been carrying this combination uh, really since it dropped a few years ago. So very cool. So check them out. SIG 365. Get one. What else? Here we go. Montana Knife Company. Look at this one. This is the Fieldcraft Survival Blade right here. And what I love, uh, well, love a lot of things about Montana Knife Company. Be sure and follow them. Uh, very cool what they're doing up there. But they also now have leather sheaths which i love as soon as i saw it i ran out and bought this one so uh check them out montana knife company love what they are doing over there what else check it out black rifle coffee exclusive coffee club subscription and this one right here you sign up for this every month you get a different roast and look at that 
George Washington crossing the Delaware right there. This talks about the different ways you can prepare said coffee. And here it is. This is this month's Beware the Delaware. Nice. So check out Black Rifle Coffee. If you have not, it gets delivered every single month. So you're not running out to buy coffee. And you don't run out. And here we go. Park City Gun Club. Just got my mug. But uh, if you're passing through Park City, check out Park City Gun Club. You can go there and actually rip full auto on a few different weapon systems. So go in there, say hi to those guys, hang out. It's a great facility, and you might see me there on the range. So Park City Gun Club, thank you guys for being awesome. And Code of the West, Chris Hunt over there at Black Rifle Coffee Company. Go check out the Code of the West on Instagram. You can link there to what you can get from those guys, T-shirts and hats. And uh, Chris Hunt is the author-illustrator of Carver, A Paris Story, which is an amazing graphic novel. So be sure and check that out. And look at that, going old school. Code of the West, awesome. And what's next? Uh -huh. Naked right here, superfood right here. My buddy uh, Trevor Sacco from my San Diego days always love well, the things that he gets involved with. And this company right here, Naked, is one of them. And we've been, gosh, it's been like a year and a half since we've been using this stuff. But there's pasta sauces, there's hot sauces, um, there's salsa uh, right here, which is delicious, by the way. Uh, but check them out, Naked Infusions right there. Trevor, congratulations. And Vertex. So check this bag out. Vertex sent this bag recently. And very cool in here, they have this, which tells you all of the different options you have for mounting lights, chem lights, knives, magazines, pistols, and all the rest in their bag. So uh, go check them out. Vertex always doing something cool. So uh, thank you guys for sending this. It is sincerely appreciated. And... All right, look at this. Boom. From GLG Knifeworks. They were kind enough to send this case out. And in this case, a few different things. So, what they make are tools that do not beep when you are wanted with a metal detector. So, these are especially cool right here. Looks like a Home Depot pencil, but it's a little more. So that is very cool. And in here, let's check this out. Okay. Bam. Let's turn this thing on. Okay. In here, there's the knife. There's the pistol. There's the watch. Right. Let's see right here. So this is a, uh, a hair clip for uh, the ladies who are running. Have this in your, your hair. Gives you a little, a little something. Um, right here. Bookmark. That's nice. Bam. And here's one that has yeah, a little sheath. Sheath. Non-metallic. Whole thing. Non-metallic. Awesome. And here is the pencil. Awesome. Watch. GLG Knifeworks. Check them out. That is awesome. And here's what uh, was in that sheath. So there you go just in case. All right. And 
Merch on the site. There are some new things on the site. Go to officialjackcar.com. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner. And if these aren't on there by the time this drops, they will be shortly. So new mugs. There's a whole bunch of other stuff on there as well. So check that out. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close Podcast. An Ironclad Original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Only the Dead, my next novel in the James Reese Terminal List series, hits shelves on May 16th and is available for pre-order right now. To find out more about Vincent Vargas, you can follow him on Instagram at vincent.rocco, R-O-C-C-O dot Vargas. You can also go to vincentroccovargas.com. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. You can click in the upper right-hand corner on shop for the merch. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. <laughs>